Father, we thank you, Lord, that because of your Holy Spirit, which we're going to look at today because of your Holy Spirit, you're with us here and you're with, you're with that group up there uh, near New Boston, Missouri. And Lord, they can be 140 miles away from us and have the same contact with you that we have now. And Father, we thank you for that. We pray your blessing upon them. We ask your blessing upon us as we get into your word together. For we ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated in the Lord's presence. And, you know, if you, if you snuck in without getting a handout, um, you should uh, try and retrieve one. There's some extras both at the door and I think directly back there. Um, you'll notice that the, uh, the inside of it is all cross-references today. We do have a base passage we're going to get to eventually, but uh, also, um, uh, uh, you know, we got, we're going to be just going to be looking at a lot of passages. You know, one other thing I wanted to mention before we uh, have you start here with us and what we're going to look at, I think one of the signs of a non-aging congregation is the problem that we have right now. And so, you know, sometimes people ask, well, have you got an aging church? Well, well, no. I mean, we're all aging. All of us are aging. Time, time only goes in one direction. But do we have an aging church? Well, I don't think so because Wednesday nights, for example, Wednesday nights uh, when we have our prayer meeting going on in here for adults, the junior choir is getting ready for Christmas program. So that covers kindergartners through, I don't know, fifth or sixth grade. So if you have a child that age, you ought to bring them out on Wednesday nights at 7. Let them, let them be part of the Christmas program. But then pre-K. I mean, we got a baby boom in pre-K. And if we could get, I don't know, three or four more people who would sign the list that is out in the lobby before you leave. Uh, we, we're trying to get a schedule together where you would only have to do it twice between now and Christmas uh, but we do need help in that area because, praise the Lord, we got, we got a baby boom going on tonight. Uh, we will be in the Psalms together as Awana goes on for the kids. And so we will be in Psalms. And all I can say is it will either be, that's only our second week, so you haven't missed much if you missed the first one. But we will either be in a Psalm of praise or lament, depending on the Chiefs game today. So, so praise the Lord. Uh, you know, today's message, I think, is like a lot of the Bible. It's like a lot of the Bible is. Either it's going to make sense to you or it's not. But in order to help it make the most sense, then let me start off with an analogy. You know, once upon a time, we saw matter and energy as totally different things. And we knew that there was energy and it was giving us power and and light. But matter and material things were a total separate entity. And then alone came Einstein. And Einstein now confirms what the Bible actually says, which is that construct, viewing matter and energy as separate items, is totally an illusion. It's not the reality. So Einstein put math to the creation. And you know, even if you're not a... Yeah, you know, if science wasn't your thing in school, most of us, even, even as Americans, are familiar with the equation E equals MC squared. And in my simple, unmathematical mind, I reverse that to understand how anything, anything multiplied by the square of light speed is how much energy that thing contains. So energy is everywhere. 
but only the energy that slows down enough to materialize is recognizable to us through our five senses. So it's all atomic, and the atomic is nuclear. And this is not superstition, but science. Because if you look in your handout at Hebrews 11, verse 1, it tells us, now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So what you can touch down here is simply a different composition of other things you cannot see and yet still exist. So matter is all energy. Uh, It's just traveling at a different speed. Now, Newton did not know this, but my understanding as a novice is that this pulpit is, is, is nothing more than energy slowed down enough until it materialized. And in actual fact, the same thing is true of our corporeal existence. See, it's difficult to understand the Holy Spirit when you are looking at him through the limited lens of space-time. Therefore, to explain himself... God gave us his word. This is King James Bible doctrine related to the Holy Spirit. And if you will listen carefully today, then we will recover a sense of the truth that I believe has been lost over time. It was more apparent to the apostles in the early church, and we've lost it over time. And what we discover is that when God entered human history, he did so by stooping down and stepping into our humanity. And instead of coming like he had appeared previously in the Old Testament, he came all the way down. And so light-speed God slowed all the way down permanently into a physical manifestation In Jesus Christ, that's a mystery of godliness. Okay, but functionally, how does that that happen today? How does he do that today? I mean, I know how he did it in, you know, Mark 1 and and Luke chapter 2, but how is he doing that now? Now that Jesus ascended back to the right hand of the Father in heaven. Well, Jesus does that by sending the Holy Spirit to be inside of you. So at the moment you get saved, you ask God to save you based on the finished work of Christ. God, it's not up to you. God places you in Christ and the Holy Spirit in you. So there cannot be a topic more intimately connected to the Christian life than the enablement of the Holy Spirit. You say, but the Bible... The Bible is intimately connected to the Christian life. Well, it should be, but it is connected from the outside, and that connection is dependent on you. But the thing about the Holy Spirit, and this is my thesis for today's study, is that the Holy Ghost is God's intimacy connection on the inside. And it is only dependent on Him and Jesus. I mean, so much so that you're warned against quenching or grieving that connection. So I've always been amazed at how awkward our relationship is with the Holy Spirit as Baptists. 
Yeah, I mean, we don't mind doctrine, but we are really awkward sometimes in our personal understanding of the implications of that doctrine. So if I get, you know, if I get up and say, let's, uh, let's learn about the Holy Ghost, everybody cheers. But if we get up and say, let's walk in the Spirit, well, everybody kind of looks at you sideways. Well, what does that even mean? How, how do we even do that? And yet, in fact, and this is our first point for study, if you are not walking in the Spirit, you do not understand the doctrine. So we have this superstitious relationship with the Holy Ghost, and this in spite of the fact that the only, the only Christians who ever shaped history were filled with the Holy Spirit. And one thing I know, even although I am a dispensationalist, and this is our second point for study, is that the Holy Spirit is not finished shaping the future through God's people. Do you live your life in the Spirit as if He is still affecting history today? So this morning, I want you to step out of your seat, and I want you to space travel with me to the place where you are actually seated with Jesus in heavenly places. And then from there, I want you to look down on what God is doing here. And this is not science fiction. This is science scripture. And so, so here are fundamental principles about the enablement of the Holy Spirit. Look at Philippians 2, verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you. Now, now, that, now, again, we've totally lost the correct idea because whenever we pray, we're praying for God to do a work somehow outside of us. We're praying for God to do all these things outside of us. We want him to work and do something for us. And yet, this verse says, God works in you. And he will work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Verse 15 that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. And I know this sounds insane, but once you get saved, you are light. And, And both Jesus and Paul say that we are children of light. And the Bible states God is light. But you are Christ-like with Christ on the inside through the Holy Spirit, slowing down into time so that you can touch people with eternity. So right now, Ecclesiastes 3 says, lost people have the world in their heart. Now, if you're not coming from a King James Bible, it doesn't say that. As a matter of fact, it kind of says the opposite to that. But actually, Solomon is saying the lost people got the world in their heart. And you know what? That is all they have without you. So when the Spirit of God moves in our world, it is because the speeded up God slows down enough to operate through us and his spirit grabs us and speeds us forward and then slows us to a stop to touch every situation which he wants to change. So the Holy Spirit is God who is faster than time, slowing down into time to move with us in our life. That means the history of the church is written 
by those who are enabled by the Holy Spirit. And so we actually have an unfair advantage on the world because we're not trapped in space-time. And praying in the Holy Ghost is what breaks us out of space-time. Just like Jude verse 20 talks about. So when you understand the implication of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, then for once, life is no longer claustrophobic. You can exhale. You can kind of take a deep breath and say, Ah, I've broken out of this matrix. So if the Holy Spirit will help me today and by your prayers, then maybe we will understand how you have to have the Holy Spirit's enablement in this life. And it's going to be a minute before we get to our main passage. But if you look at Ephesians 2, there in your handout, verse 6. And God hath raised us up together and made us, whether you wanted to or not, this is on him. He made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And he did that, when you keep reading after that colon, he did that so that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And I'm sorry those verses don't hit you like they should. I admit, I am not a very good preacher. But you are resident and present in this moment, and yet there is a dual phase transaction taking place if you are saved. Because at this same moment, your angel is in heaven. Your spirit is appearing with Christ at the right hand of God. Now, your, your kid's spirit, your ch- child's spirit, you know, the spirit of all our children in this church, well, they got a front row seat, Jesus says. Their angel stands before God's, right before God's face. So, so you're three or four rows back. But, But at the same time you are here, you are just as really there, though you cannot see that or sense it with your physical senses. So that kind of changes everything. Because, Because now, in this dual transaction, you in heaven and the Holy Spirit in you, you are transcendent and not trapped by time. Now, let me illustrate that irrefutable idea. Have you ever watched a uh, science so-called fiction movie or episode or Twilight Zone or whatever where there was a portal and there was a portal, Star Trek, something like that. At some episode, there was a portal. And have you ever wished that you could step through a portal into a different time, a different place, a different dimension, or is it just me? And I have extraordinary news for you based on King James Bible doctrine. You may never go through any other portal than Jesus. But Jesus is that portal because he is from above. And he is the light of the world. And he is the door. And he is the way. And he is the only name under heaven whereby you can get saved today. But wait, because right now, here and in this life... He is still all those things through you because the Holy Spirit enables you. Do you understand the words coming out of my mouth? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 
says, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them. And I want you to watch this carefully. I mean, a lot of the new translations will only make you think that the God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers. In other words, those who are unsaved. And while that is true, that's not actually the wording here in the text. He hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Maybe even save people who are not picking up on this doctrine. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For Verse 6, verse 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Give it to who? Give it to others. Give it to, give it to the lost. Jesus is the life because he is the light. He has shined in you and he does that by the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Spirit is doing the same thing through your life that he did in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. When he began the redemption of creation. Oh wait, stop and think about it. I mean, when you were born physically, when you were born the first time, you were born into a dimension of darkness and physical death. I mean, it was chaos. It was without form and void, spiritually. But when you pass through the door, the portal of Jesus, well, then the Spirit of God starts moving on the face of the waters, and you enter this new dimension of life called light. But hold on one second, because it's even more than just you passing through a portal. Because of the Holy Ghost, you now become a portal. And I'm just, I'm just going to tell you straight up, you know what, one of the things I told, told the kids at camp yesterday, said, okay, we've got three groups here. We got, we've got little children, we've got young men, and we've got fathers. And while the little children are told to learn, and, and the fathers are called to suffer, the young men have to win. I mean, the young men have to win. So you young men, you have to win. Because if you do not win now, you'll be a failure in that same area the rest of your life. So you kind of got to win. And therefore, if you especially are not understanding that because you are saved, you didn't just enter through a portal, you are a portal, when you're not going to win. You need the enablement of the Holy Ghost. And eternity is ushered into time by your witness with the light. So let me boil it down to the irreducible minimum. Getting saved can look a lot like the interweaving of time and eternity. But really, it's more tangible than that because the Holy Spirit affects your everyday walk every day of the week. And if he doesn't, then he's grieved or he's even quenched. So what you see in your life is the story of tragedy and then the story of beauty and recreation. There's so much violence in our city, but, you know, in our whole country right now. So much brokenness causing so much pain. So a person can seem on the, justify, on, the, on the surface justified to say, look, I do not believe in God, 
Because there's so much suffering in the world. And, and my issue with you, if you say that, is this. You still don't understand how the Holy Spirit wants to make you the offset. You're still not comprehending how you carry the static charge to bring redeeming balance back to that system. Because if you are born again, containing the Holy Spirit makes you a time traveler, writing the wonderful love of Jesus in history with your life. And if you're not doing that, well, then nobody has any reason to believe in God. You're right. They're right. If they're not seeing that in you, then they're absolutely right. So there is one natural story of tragedy, and humans are its authors, not God. We are the creators of the story that goes down in the darkness. But when we get saved, we do the work of Jesus as uninvited ghostwriters coming in and changing the plot in order to steal the devil's subjects. And we, can't, we carry the gospel story of redemption into the only story that exists when God is not seen. That's tragedy. So are you using the enablement of the Holy Spirit to represent the story of God so that your electrical spiritual discharge overwhelms the positive negativity in lost souls? See, this is why we have to pay attention to the enablement of the Holy Spirit, how he has shined in our hearts in order to shine light into others. And God wants out of us a spiritual discharge that physically affects lost life. Psalm 2 verse 11 says, serve the Lord now. Here's why I bring this up. We have a really warped idea, I think, of what it means to be spirit-filled or be anointed or have the Holy Spirit's power. Psalm 2 verse 11 says, If you're going to serve the Lord, serve Him with fear and rejoice with trembling. And isn't it amazing how tears, fears, and trembling are the acceptable proofs of spirit-filling and spirit-anointing and a godly walk and pleasing God? And yet these are the very things we go to the therapist for. These are the very things we try to medicate ourselves out of. I am not telling you to stop taking your medication. I'm just saying. Philippians 2 verse 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. What God has worked in you, you need to work out of you with fear and trembling. Ministering in fear, rejoicing yet trembling. Why, why, why is that the way to serve God? Because then you know you are trusting in the enablement of the Holy Ghost. And more than that, you become the portal for the lost. I mean, after all, he's the light, but we're the light. So it's counterintuitive, I know, but watch. Go back to Philippians 2 again, watch in verse uh, 13. For it is God which worketh in you. Now he does that by the comforter. What we already saw Jesus talk about a couple of three weeks ago, John 14 to 16. By the comforter is how he works in you because God works in you by the indwelling Holy Ghost. And he works in such a way, watch, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So not just to do it, 
but so that you will to do it. I mean, he takes care of your motivation, not just your action. So verse 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Another evidence of the you know, filling of the Holy Spirit, because otherwise murmurings and disputings grieve him and drive him off. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. So Paul says, I want you to do this and hold forth the word of life. Otherwise, when we get to the judgment seat of Christ and I see how you are unrewarded, I'm going to feel like I ran in vain. Man, I'm going to feel like I labored in vain. And yet this is what we, this idea of, of, of the comforter and the enablement of the Holy Spirit is what we run from instead of serve God with because we do not understand the implication of the King James Bible doctrine on the enablement of the Holy Ghost. You know, most of my pastoral counseling is very simple. I mean, I can describe to you exactly. In any given counseling session, it runs like this. You come in, I will listen for 40 or 45 minutes. I mean, that's just always how long it takes. I mean, I could set a timer. And I'll listen for 40 or 45 minutes, and I'll be taking notes while you talk, because I don't want to interrupt you. I want to listen before I say anything. But usually, all I'm doing is I listen is discovering all the ways that your problem can be solved by faith, hope, and love. And the world is in absolute darkness about all three of those things. Uh, for example, Van Gogh. I mean, Van Gogh was so confused about love, he cut off his ear for a girl. Man, he should have cut off the girl and kept his ear. The world is tortured by love, and yet it never stops searching for it. And when their story ends in despair or violence, they extinguish their future. How come you don't recognize that? The Holy Spirit brings faith, hope, and love. And when you start with faith, you'll find the hope and love. I don't care who I'm listening to, what the problem is. Uh, And I have heard some hairy, scary, complicated problems. But somebody's got to have faith in this equation. I believe I can find hope and love. 1 Corinthians 12, 9, to another faith by the same Spirit. 2 Corinthians 4, 13, we having the same Spirit of faith. Galatians 5, 5, for we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Galatians 5, 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, faith. 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love. Romans 5, 5, and hope makes them not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Romans 15, 13, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, faith, that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. See, these are foundational principles, brethren. And that is why with Jesus, there is always a future and a hope. Hope lives here. And yet so many people rightly divide their Bible, but they wrongly dissect the truth. And you know, dissection is something you do to a cadaver. Dissection is what you do to something that's dead. 
But we say we know the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and yet we dissect that doctrine from the fact that without Him, no one has a future. Without the Holy Spirit, they have extinguished their future. There's nothing but darkness in the future for those who do not have Christ's light in this life. So the world thinks they have peace without God. But those two things cannot be dissected. I mean, I mean, watch. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. But there is no expected end being created if you do not have God's peace, if you do not have peace with God. So we have to step into their lives with the Holy Spirit inside of us. But if we do not understand this enablement, we do not step into it with power, O Lord. So here we are, disconnected from the trap of time with this dual-phase existence in eternity, just so we can usher eternity down into time. And we get to embody God slowing down from light speed and manifesting Christ even through us. And his enablement is what allows us to bring the light of God into every moment of darkness. I mean, we become Jacob's ladder. Right? Jacob slept, woke up, saw a ladder up to heaven, angels ascending and descending. That's us, baby Baba. We get to do that. His enablement allows embodiment. But how do you take a moment in time and turn it eternal? You do it by making sure that you are every moment connected and yielded to the God who is outside of time. So Jesus sent us his spirit to do that. So I don't want to give you a strategy to be more spiritual. I I want you to actually begin to become something unexplainable. Unexplainable to the natural man within this material world because here's our third point for study. When you put on the new man, you are the image of God slowed down into visible manifestation or else you're not walking in the Spirit. Now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Jesus stepped into human history to accomplish something which cannot be seen. And we are given the Holy Spirit to translate that into waking reality. So let me take you to our text because this is just a fundamental principle about the Spirit's enablement. Verse 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him? Now watch, even so, the things of God knoweth no man. Now if you stop right there at verse 11, it is hopeless. You know, I've never been able to understand why, you know, why anybody could believe that Ecclesiastes was a good book to live by. You know, like Solomon's book, Ecclesiastes, was good advice. 
Solomon accurately records in Ecclesiastes as a natural man, as a lost man, out of fellowship with God, what the conditions are living in total vanity under the sun. And if you stop at verse 11 of, 2 Corinthians, of 1 Corinthians 2, and you don't get into verse 12, then if you'll look at Ecclesiastes 3 on your handout sheet, here's what Solomon accurately records. Verse 9, What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? That's a pretty cynical statement. But he has justification for it. I've seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. God hath made everything beautiful in his time. But watch this. He's also set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work of God. Now, if you're not coming from a King James Bible, all the modern translations turn that on its head. They say... God set eternity in their hearts. No, no. God set the world in their heart, and that is why they cannot find out the work that God maketh from the beginning of the end. They, they have no idea. So God places travail on the sons of men, and the travail that He created you to counteract is put upon them, because, you know, your ancestor Adam ate something that made him mortal. So the curse may belong to the ground, but mortality belongs to us. We are time stamped. We are expiration dated in this life. And yet for us, we are given a holy heavenly helper. So now look at verse 12, 1 Corinthians 2. Now we have received not the spirit of the world like all the lost people have, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. And, and just what is the freely given thing we need to know? What is it that you need to know through the enablement of the Holy Spirit in your life? Well, verse 16, here it is. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So we have the mind of Christ and the Word of God and the Spirit of God instructs you so that you can know God's mind. And I understand you think God is an accountant when He's actually a creator. So He did not give you the Bible just to know it. He gave it to transform your personality. So we have the, we have the mission of a transformation. And that, that transformation is done through transform ministry by the enablement of the Holy Spirit and Holy Ghost power. So just like John the Baptist, Jesus must increase while you must decrease. And John 3 verse 30, which says that, explains all you need to know about the filling of the Holy Ghost. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, you must decrease so that he can increase in you then you're able to bring faith in the midst of misery. You're able to inject hope into the middle of despair. You are able to create love in the midst of hatred because you have the only light that will shine in their darkness. But you now think with the mind of Christ, and so there is no tragedy 
in which you cannot find the work that God maketh in the midst of their travail. There's no tragedy in which you cannot see the purpose providentially that God has in allowing that to come about because you have the light of life through the Holy Spirit. You know, let me explain why it is so easy to miss these fundamental principles. Look at Isaiah 53 and verse 2. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Now this is talking about Jesus. So does that verse make sense to you? I mean, the perfect God stops himself in time. He enters our humanity in the perfect Christ. And yet, from our perspective, he has no beauty that would make us want him. Do you think that it's possible that we see ugly things as beautiful and beautiful things as ugly? What do you think? I mean, when I was, when I was young, when I was a young child, my dad uh, was borderline alcoholic. And so the first time I tasted liquor was once when he gave me a whiskey sip so he could watch me want to spit it out. So I know vodka is lighter fluid. I know that. I know gin is lighter fluid made out of carrots. And I know that whiskey is smoke-infused lighter fluid. And rum is lighter fluid with spice. And, and even beer is an acquired taste. And, but some of you used to drink a lot. And so for you, to this day, you think lighter fluid is delicious. Well, while I'm in my confessional, I want you to know I smoked for 16 years. I mean, I smoked until I was about 16. I smoked secondhand through my dad. And one day, uh, you know, somebody at work was having a baby shower or something, so they passed around cigars, so he brought home this cheap cigar. And my dad had kind of sophisticated taste, so he only drank Falstaff and smoked cools with menthol. So he was not really interested in that cigar, and I, may, I must have saw it as a teaching moment because he sat me down at the kitchen table and said, look, I will light this cigar and you can smoke it right here. If you'll, if you'll stay right here and smoke it right here, you can smoke that. You can have this cigar to smoke. And I thought, here is my rite of passage. I'll be a man after doing this. I was about 10 years old, and I, I smoked half that cigar and I turned green. And the rest of the day and night, I was sick as a dog in my bed. And, you know, this was a Saturday. And you know how precious Saturdays are to 10-year-old boys. And, but I understand it now. The first time you do it, you know, your body screams, this is ugly. But you do it enough that then you think it's beautiful. So you think teaching on the Holy Spirit looks a certain way. And, and you attribute to him the things that show he's holy God. But what you ought to be amazed at are the things that make him fully and completely in unholy you. Because this is our final point for study. You cannot achieve the things that make the Holy Spirit fully God. But you must aspire for the things which make the Holy Spirit touch humanity through you. I think there's a future of Holy Spirit enablement that God has for you. The future of your spirituality is gaining the ability to be in the middle of a mission that God is accomplishing through the power of the Holy Ghost.
You know, he's like the wind. You never, you never know when it's going to show up. I mean, as long as you open the door, as long as you're there and you are available, you don't have to be able. The Holy Ghost does it. All you have to do is be the instrument of God to bring light into the darkness so that it brings Christ's beauty into the tragedy of human life. So I'm concerned that we keep looking for the wrong thing. And we keep looking for better strategies and better systems and better programs and church growth and all of that. I think we're supposed to be the people of supernatural ability. By the supernatural activity which comes from the enablement of the Holy Ghost. We get to live in time, yet we're seated in eternity. And we get to grab all that eternity has in Jesus Christ and bring it back into time. That's why it's dual phase. That's why we're both places at once. Because Jesus isn't here. We're here. And the Holy Spirit's here. And we are light in the midst of their darkness. And we bring hope to people trapped in despair. We've rejected him too long, my brethren. And I know you feel like you're just flesh and blood. I know you feel trapped sometimes in space-time, but that's not the real. That's just how you feel. The reality is you are spirit, and you are connected to the eternal God by the Holy Spirit. He created the entire universe, and then he sent his spirit to divide light from darkness and redeem it. So every time you enter the arena, you have an unfair advantage over the world. Because of all the denominations and all the faith persuasions, we have biblical authority. And God is especially with us. Be a portal into eternity by being a portal to Jesus. Do not let anyone else write the story of Harvest Baptist Church. You need to get out your stylus and you need to start writing in the power of the Spirit. Every head bowed, every eye closed. My time is up. I thank you for yours. The question from the pulpit today is, what will you do with the message that the Holy Spirit has exposed you to this morning? What have you done with Jesus? If you're here and you're lost, you're not even saved yet. You're not, you've never been born again. What are, you, what, are you, what are you doing with Jesus? Has God put you in Christ and the Holy Spirit in you? All you have to do to receive that new life in Christ is pray. All you got to do is pray because it's not physical. It's not ceremony, sacraments, and rituals. It's not good works. It's not being a good person. It's not being baptized. It's not being a member of a church. It's not physical. It is spiritual. So all you have to do is pray. And you can pray with me right now. Just your heart to God. Your heart touching God's heart. And say, God, today I see it. I see it. I mean, I see your grace is free. Because Christ's work on the cross is finished. He did it all. So God, save me today for Jesus' sake. I don't deserve it. Man, I could say I'm going to try and clean myself up first and then I'm going to give my life to you. I won't make it. I can't clean up my own life. God, I got to do it today. I have to do it now. I trust Jesus today for eternal life. Here, Jesus I give you my life.
And if you prayed that today, will you thank Thank God by coming here to the front and letting us know so that we can rejoice with you. And I want to take just a, a one more minute at that time and give you something that will let you know how to grow in your faith and in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. Just give you a copy of my book, my, my little booklet on the next steps, next steps for new believers. And it's free. And if you want one, just come up and ask. Go ahead and stand. Let's get ready to pray. This Saturday is our week hair day for us, but also for the community. Lots of health, financial screenings, and services we're going to offer this Saturday. Next Sunday and the following Wednesday night, so not this week, but next, we will be live streaming on Sunday and Wednesday night, the Certainty Conference from Ohio, and I'll be speaking there, not this Monday through Wednesday, but next Monday through Wednesday morning, so be, be praying for me, and praying this week, you know, as I prepare and get ready for that. But this is life to you. This is life for somebody that needs to come, and you need to invite them and get them here. And uh, if you need any help today, come here to the front, let us know. Praise team, sing us out.